when we started this series, we were thinking about how hard it would be to, because we don't usually do topical series. We usually like, go through a book of the Bible at a time or whatever, and it makes it really easy to figure out what passage you're going to be in, and it gives you some consistency. It's like, well, we were in, we were in Matthew 1 last week, so we're going to be in Matthew 2 next week. We're going to be in Matthew 3 the week after that. You know, it just kind of makes sense as you're planning. We didn't plan that this would be a series through Ephesians as we talked about what we believe is the church, but if you want to go ahead and turn back to Ephesians, we're going to be there again today. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll hit a little bit of some of the rest of Ephesians uh, and a couple of different points as well. We'll start in chapter 2. Um, this, this kind of kicks off the second half of our series. Tiff was saying right before, oh, I thought we were almost done. Uh, no, we're not. We're, we're about halfway there. The first half has really been kind of big picture theological stuff. We started with who is God and all of the things that we've been talking about for the last five or six weeks have really been snapshots of different aspects of his character and the way that he works with man. Starting today, we're going to start talking about the church. And today I'm going to kind of give us an overview. I said, I feel like I'm not saying much, but that's because uh, from here, moving forward, all of the things that we're going to talk about are like specific applications of what we believe within the church, like, like closer views. So, so we're not talking about communion. We're not talking about baptism. We're not talking about, about all of the specific, a lot of the specific things. We're looking at kind of the big picture, what we believe about the church and what we believe about uh, the people in the church and some of their specific roles um, that God has designed for us um, as, we, as we exist in the church, in the family that, that God is um, knitting together, that he is, he is building us into. So, just to kind of give you an idea of where we're going. Uh, the first thing that I would point out is that um, if you were here throughout our Matthew series, you heard the phrase, the kingdom of God, a lot, or the kingdom of heaven, a lot. It was, that was John the Baptist's message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or, behold, this is the kingdom of God is now here. Like, it's here. You've been looking for it. This is the kingdom of God. And when we think about a kingdom, and we talked about this when we went through our Matthew series, when you think about the idea of a kingdom, you think about a king who's ruling over a specific area of land, a specific place, a location, and, and it's got borders, and, and it's this physical region. And that's kind of what Israel had been familiar with throughout all of their history, right? They were, they, were, they were a group of people in a specific place ruled by a specific king because that's the way the rest of the nations did it and that's how they wanted to look as well. But what we started to see, and this was, this was offensive to Israel as, um, as Jesus came and started sharing his message of the kingdom of God, he said, the kingdom of God is not a physical piece of land. The kingdom of God is, is a people that I am redeeming and I am building together and I am, and, I am, and I am adding to my family. The kingdom of heaven was the message of the gospel that was going to be at work in the church that Christ was going to build. So, so when we think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is what we are. We are a part of the kingdom of God. He is our king. We are his subjects, if you want to use kind of king and people language, um, we don't have a specific land, we don't have a specific, a specific home, but we have a people. We are a people. It's God building a kingdom through uniting people around the truth of the gospel. So, if you're in Ephesians, in chapter 2, I'm going to start with verses 19 through 22 of chapter 2. And it says this, of course it's on a page break for me. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here's the first thing that I want us to realize as we, as we talk about what we believe about the church. First, and this is not to knock on other churches, church structures, anything like that, but we believe that Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. We don't have a senior pastor. It's not like, it's not like I outrank Caleb or dad outranks me. Uh, it is like dad and I outrank Caleb. He's still a junior elder in our mind. We never officially took that title off of him. I mean, if you were going to even go, well, who is our senior pastor? Well, there's only one senior citizen among us, so it would have to be that guy back there. Yeah, amen, right? But, but we don't have, as, as far as level of importance, person who sits over everybody else, the person that, that all the rest of the elders perhaps submit to, we don't have that because, because Jesus serves as our senior pastor. Look at the language that he used here. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the foundation, the thing on which everything else rests. And we're going to read a couple of different metaphors this morning that kind of build that case, that Jesus is everything that the church is built around. If not for Jesus, none of, this, none of this matters. And so everybody under Jesus is basically like Jesus and not Jesus. Like, like those are the ranks when it comes to the church. Jesus and not Jesus. I'm going to build a case for different roles, different, different activities, different pieces of responsibility that he gives different individuals. But as far as importance, as far as, as, as like actual, real, supreme authority, all authority is Jesus's. And any responsibility or authority that's given from below him is really just under his authority. So it all comes back to Jesus. And I'd also like to point out that it says we haven't just been given redemption when we talk about salvation, right? We ha it's not just that we're saved. It's not just that we're now not afraid of, of hell and punishment anymore. But we've been given a new family. Look at this language. Being joined together. In him you are also being built together. We have a new people, a new family. In just a minute, we're going to talk about how we have a new body. We are, we are united in a new way with a new group of people that we didn't have before. And so, and so he's knitting us together. And, and again, I don't, want to, I don't want to harp too much on, on what we talked about last week with God's sovereignty, but, but look at how passive that language is in there. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being built together. That's a passive statement. In him, you are being built together. He is building us into his church. He is making us look like the church that he desires. He is doing this. This isn't because we said, I know what will be a good church structure. So hopefully everything else that you hear me say the rest of this morning about what we believe about the structure of the church and how the church should function and the purpose of the church and the way that we should live within church. All of this we're trying to pull out of the Bible, out of Scripture, because he's the one that gets to decide because it is his church, not ours, that we own. So Jesus is the senior pastor. Uh, go ahead and flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, Paul is going to continue to talk about what it should look like to live within the church to the Ephesians, and he's going to start talking about what it should look like when you are together 
with the church. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Remember that phrase, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We'll stop right there. We're called to be as a family. We're being knit together as a new family, and we're being called to live in a unified way. Yes, if you have a family, you know families go through things. We don't always get along. Somebody disagrees with somebody on one thing or another. Somebody has plans and they want the whole family to get together for this thing and then you have the one family member who doesn't have their stuff together and they end up messing up the whole thing or something. That tends to be me. I don't always have all my stuff together. But like, and people get frustrated or people get angry or people disagree over, over whatever. I mean... We all have families. We all have disagreements. We all understand that, that this isn't always perfect, and that's still true in the church. But, but within the church, what Paul's trying to remind us is, remember what we've been called out of. We were sinners. We were all over the place. We were a bunch of individuals kind of running around with no, with no hope, no direction. What we just read in Ephesians 2, we're no longer strangers and aliens, but now we're fellow citizens. And as fellow citizens, as members of the body of Christ, as people who are unified around the truth of the gospel, we're to live in a manner worthy of that calling. Humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. Because, what he's, because the case that he's going to continue to make is we're all one body. We're all in this together. And as one, as members of one body, it matters that we work well together, that we live well together. We don't divide. We don't fight. We don't bicker. We don't become angry. Sure, we're going to disagree, but our goal when we disagree is we got to get unified. We got we to gotta work through this stuff. We got we to gotta finish fixing these broken things because, because that is what is represented in the gospel, is that, that we were far from God and he's making us his children. He's adding us to his family. So he's saying, live in that manner. Live like you've been saved from something and behave in, such, in the same way with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Live in unity with one another. He goes on to say in chapter 4, I'm going to pick up in verse 11. He says, And he gave some, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body 
joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So when we're living as the body, when we're living in a unified way, the point is we have to live together on all of these things because we're there for one another. We're there to build one another up. We're there to encourage each other to grow in spiritual maturity. We're there to sharpen one another, to use a, to use a metaphor from another place in the Bible. We're there to encourage each other to grow. We're there to fight for one another. We're to speak the truth to each other in love. Again, because, because we know we're going to become... <laughs> It's tempted to become disunified when we start speaking hard truth to one another. It's easy to react in a negative way and be like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be around somebody that's going to, that's going to push me that hard. But, but the whole point is that we remain unified. We love each other so that we can speak truth so that we become more like Christ, who he describes as the head, the head of the body. And when he talks about that, everything flows out of the head. It reminded me, I, was, I couldn't remember what the term was for it, but like we go through when we're like kids, different stages of how we draw people right? And like one of the first stages of actually being able to draw something that maybe starts to resemble a human, you usually like draw a circle and then like lines that come out of the head. Like there's no body. Everything's just connected to the head. And I was thinking about that and I was like, that's basically the picture that we get here is that if Jesus is the head, everything kind of comes out of that and we think of it that way. Like you lose your head, none of the rest of it matters. But like even at a, the most simple sense, the way that we view, amen, amen. The way that we view the body, the way that we view everything works, everything flows from the head. And that's what he's saying is Jesus is the head of the body. Jesus is the head of the church. Everything that happens flows from him. There's nothing that we can do apart from Christ. There's nothing that we can accomplish apart from Christ. Everything that we are and everything that we do as a church is done in Christ and through Christ. So let's take a look, deeper look into this body metaphor. If you want to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can. I'll give you just a second, because it's going to take me a second, because I didn't mark any of these spots. Except that my Bible was dog-eared right there, so I had an unfair advantage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. And, and, and this is, this, we're going to spend a lot of time talking through this passage. So, so listen to what Paul is saying here. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and, the individ- and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. It kind of leaves on a bit of a cliffhanger. I'll fill you in on what the cliffhanger is, because he's got a more excellent way. But what's the point that he's making here? He's saying, we can't all be the exact same thing, and just because we have a really specific purpose that we understand doesn't mean that somebody who has a different purpose is less important than we are. And we all have different functions as a part of the same body because God made us the way we are. He made us to serve in the way that we serve. He called us to the specific calling that He called us to. We don't get to be frustrated because we're a left pinky toe. Left pinky toe is just as vital as the heart. You may disagree, but I bet if you didn't have your left pinky toe, your balance would not be nearly as good. But here's the point that I want us to, I want us to get at. He makes this big display, this big show of Look at how vital all these different parts of the body are. And when they come together, they function as this this one unified being. That's the church. We all have different, different gifts, different abilities. Some are prophets. Some have the gift of healing. Some are apostles. Some are teachers. Like, We all have different gifts. We all have different things that we're called to, but we're all really, really important because God has knit us together as a church, as a body, so that we can function together and be an effective means of carrying out the gospel together. I love, I love this verse. Verse 29. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is why we, that, that idea right there is why at CRC we so heavily stress the idea of community. That is why we are so all in on the idea of we are committed to one another. We are all in on each other's lives. We know what's going on and we feel it when we're not there. We feel it when somebody is gone. Because if somebody is not here, if I was standing up here and all of a sudden my left arm decided it was going to take the day off, I'm going to feel it. I'm not going to be able to write anything because I can't write a single thing with my right hand. It does not work. You, you, can't, you can't not notice. 
And there's, there's a trend, especially in American Christianity, where we, we find ourselves often tempted to go find really big groups of people that we can kind of blend into and lose a little bit of our individuality, hide a little bit, so that, so that we don't want people to recognize when we're not there or there, so that we don't have to feel guilty about whether or not we care enough to be at church every single week or be a part of the, the life of the church. That's not really available to you guys when you come here. Like, like we know when you're here, and we know when you're not here. And when you're not here, you probably get a text from somebody saying, hey, why aren't you here? We miss you. And you know why we send you a text because we miss you? Because you're part of the body, and it hurts us when you're not here. It's a weird thing to some of us to think that people care enough about us that when we go through something difficult, when we go through something painful, that it hurts everybody else around us. But that's how we should live when we're going to be members of the body of Christ. When we are added to the church, when we are joined together by Christ, just like he said, when, when all those things we talked about with salvation happen, it's not just that he saves us from our sin and now we get to go to heaven. He gives us to a new family. When you're baptized here, we're not getting into baptism, but when you're baptized here, you're being added to the family of God. Part of your declaration when you get baptized is you're saying, I'm all in with this group of people. I'm a member of this body now. And sometimes that's going to be painful because sometimes somebody in your family is going to hurt. Sometimes they're going to suffer. And we're called to suffer with them, to feel that pain with them. I'm really bad at that. Like, I don't, I don't do empathy well. I, could, I can kind of isolate the way people feel about things and I can put it in a box and I can close the box and I can not feel things. I can, I can have a rough day at work and I can go home and I can just not think about it for the next 10 hours until I go back in and then I'll deal with it. But that's not what we're called to be. We don't have a box of this person's hurting. I'm not going to think about it so that I can focus on my own individual spiritual growth this week. No. That person is hurting and I feel their pain and it hurts me and I want to do whatever I can for them because, because it's not just that they're my friend. It's not even just that they're my family. They're a part of my body. We are, we are connected. There's a reason he used the language. We are being joined together. Because when, you're, when you join something together, it's going to be painful for those things to be torn apart again. Which is why it ought to hurt us when somebody falls into sin or somebody goes away or somebody drifts away, we ought to feel that pain when somebody is missing from community in the church. That is why we are so deeply passionate about community here. And that is why you hear us say, you need to be in a community group or you need to be working through this thing. You have this issue with this person. You need to work this out. Because as long because it, you, you may have closed the box and I don't feel the pain from this broken relationship right now. But here's the thing. The rest of the church might still feel that. Even if you can detach yourself, we may need you to re reconcile with somebody else because that's hurting the rest of us too. Because it's the same body. And we're all broken together when one member is hurting.
He talks about at the end of chapter 12 in Corinthians there, he says, um, earnestly desire all these gifts. I'll show you a better way. And then he gets into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which most of us, some of us have used in weddings before because it's the love chapter. But basically, his answer to us living as the body of Christ is that we understand what real love looks like and we love one another in the body of Christ in the way that we often just apply to our marriages. That it's patient, it's kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast. I'm sure I'm quoting this in the NIV because that's when I memorized it last. But like, that's what it should look like to be a part of the body of Christ. We should love each other in that sort of way so that, so that when we hurt, the response to that is we love one another. We need to love one another way better than we often do. So the last thing I want to do is to jump off that last section where he talks about some are apostles or some prophets and teachers and workers of miracles and have the gift of healing. I want to talk a little bit about what we at CRC believe about the way the church should be structured. Um, because... When we talk about this, inevitably, you have a question, maybe that could be me. And for some of you, I hope that that is the way you feel as we talk a little bit about some of this. Um, the first thing that I want to, the point that I want to make is that um, we believe that the church is led by a plurality of elders who pursue the will of God for his church. What does that mean? Well, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, 1 through 5 says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, not clown of glory. crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There are a couple of little nuggets in there, and I could, and I was talking about this earlier, I could go much deeper into what we believe about elder leadership and why having a plurality. By plurality, I mean multiple elders who are kind of captaining the ship. I mean, we talked about how Jesus is the senior pastor, and he talks about that in here. Like, we're exercising oversight as God would have you. Like, this is all under the authority of God, but, but, you need, but we believe that the Bible paints a picture of having multiple people who are in the position of elder over the rest of the church who are kind of guiding the church. There are a lot of different ways that churches structure themselves. Um, I mean, I grew up Southern Baptist, and it was congregational. It was, you got a senior pastor, but most of the decisions get made in business meetings where everybody kind of dukes it out, right? Very democratic. Yeah, I used to want to bring popcorn to some of them because they were, they were a blast, right? But, but what we believe is that the church is structured to have a group of men who are in authority over the church, exercising the will of God, providing oversight, And that they do that out of, out of love for the people that God has called them over. Not because they're being strong-armed into it, or not that they're doing it because they can get a good paycheck. Um, 
There are places in Scripture where it does talk about you should, you should pay your pastors well so they don't have to worry about that. They're not distracted by how am I going to eat next week. Um, but that's, that's a deeper conversation for another sermon. Um, the bigger calling in here for most of us who aren't elders would be be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This idea that, that God places certain people in different levels of authority over you within the church, not because they're going to be domineering over you because they want to like strong-arm you into telling you exactly how, what you should do, but because those are people who have devoted their lives to understanding what the will of God is and trying to communicate that to you. And if that's the will of God, if the things that they're teaching you are biblical, if the things that they're teaching you come from Scripture and, and, and are right, then we should listen to those things. We should submit to those things humbly. And we should, we should change our lives to match the example of Christ and the example of Christ, hopefully, that they are living out. What does he say? Not domineering over those you're in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's the calling of an elder. To live a life that, that, like Paul could say, hey, just live your life exactly like me and you'll be okay. That's the goal. That's a terrifying calling. That terrifies me to say, all right, so I'm supposed to say, you do what I do. Uh, ooh, that's a high calling. Second thing about church structure. Elders are supported by deacons who care for the physical needs of the church, freeing the elders for prayer and study. Uh, we get this from Acts chapter 6. This is verses 1 through 6. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose around the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor. Why did I pick all the names? And Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. We believe that in a church with a biblical eldership model that the deacons are... I mean, I'll be honest. The further we've gotten into this, the more I really love the idea of deacons. Because when, when it's this small, if you're a church without deacons or without many deacons, a lot really is true. When he says, we need to devote ourselves to study and prayer and to proclaiming the word, like, that really is the first stuff to start to go if you don't have that kind of support structure of deacons within your church. And we are a small church, but it is amazing how easily distracted by, hey, we're going to get these doors replaced, and we're going to get these walls built, and we're going to get this AC stuff. But, you know, just that kind of stuff just kind of creeps in. I'm not complaining. I love that we have heat and air back in the back room for the kids now. I love that in like a week or so, we're going to have new doors in the back. And I love that we've gotten to add all of these new things that are kind of uh, like physical upgrades to the church building because I think it shows that we're valuing the kids and we're valuing the efforts that we're putting into, you know, being there and building up their lives and that sort of thing. I think that's really important. But, but I also 
think biblically what the example the apostles were giving is that they should have said, we want to show that we value the kids, but we don't have time to go build walls. You guys, go figure out how to build walls. We're going to keep, but like our vision is value the kids. Our vision is value spending time together. Let's eat lunch together. Like that's, that's our vision. And, and within that, there are those who can step up and lead and say, we'll take care of making that happen. So that you guys can continue to pray and understand what the will of God is and teach us what the steps within that can look like and how we should be living our lives as we carry that out. We're a small church, 30, 40 people. But even within that, we have, we have some deacons. But I feel like there are probably some people in here who may be called to the office of deacon, who may be called to say, you know what, I'm already doing that. Or, you know what, I feel like I could take this area and I could, I could take on this physical need so that this doesn't have to become a distraction to the elders and they can continue to be devoted to prayer and study and teaching. Kind of the, the big picture spiritual vision casting part. That may be you. And I'm not going to get into what all the, the requirements for being a deacon and the requirements for being an elder are. That's a, that's a more specific talk for as we would go down that road. But, but some people are going to be called to be teachers. Some people are going to be called to be deacons. Some people are going to be called to be backroom workers. Some people are going to be called to be like, I'm going to help clean up this place. I'm going to be called to help with lunch. I'm going to be called. That may be you. It was, it was a scary thought for all of us when it was like, I think we're supposed to be elders at a church that we're going to go plant. That's... That's a big change. That's a different thing than any of us had experienced before. But whether you're an elder or a deacon, children's worker, someone who helps with lunch, we're here because of what Jesus has done. And, and here's the thing that I, here's the, and I'm going to kind of start to close out with this idea. Just because I'm an elder doesn't make me a more important and valuable human than somebody else who's not an elder. The church is built up of Jesus and his people. Within that, there are individual callings. And yes, some people God gives authority over in a spiritual sense to other people. Yes. But as far as value, as far as importance in the greater structure of all of creation, it's Jesus and the rest of us. And those of us who are saved are all in this together. We're all part of the same body. And I just want us to appreciate what it is that he's done for us. Ephesians 5 is a passage that I, whenever I, I mean, I've only preached a couple of of weddings, but when I've preached weddings, I have used this 100% of the time because this passage is perfect for for reading in a wedding. But I'm going to read this and then we'll come back. Ephesians 5, I'm going to do 25 through 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's a great passage to use when you're charging somebody with like, here's how you should love your wife. You're getting ready to get married. This is what it should look like. But what's the point that Paul's also making there? This is how Christ loves his church. This is how Christ took people who were strangers, who were aliens, who were from all different walks of life, 
Jews or Greeks, male, female, all these different, different, different types of people. And he knit them together into one family. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He is making us holy. He is making us a holy people that are beautiful to him. Like, like the reward for what Jesus put himself through is that he becomes glorified by this beautiful bride of this church that is built because of what he is. He gets all this glory because he saves us. And, and, and in a sense, in a sense, it's not about us. We're his prize. It's not that, oh, I should feel really, I mean, you should feel really important. Jesus loves you. And Jesus is doing something really important with you. This is what Jesus does for his church. This is what Jesus is making us into. This is what we are being built for. That we should be made holy and presented back to Jesus who sacrificed himself that we could know him. And we should look like a group of people as the church who value the body that we've been added to, who understand what it took for us to be joined together, who understand what it is that we're being joined together for, the glory of God. And we should live our lives in such a way that says, look at what he has done for us. Look at how much he has valued us. Look at what he is doing with us. Look what he is making of us. And we should, we should shout to the world, look at how amazing this Jesus is. Look, we are a bunch of people, I've said this so many times, we are a bunch of people who without Jesus would probably not be friends with one another. Most of us have very different backgrounds, very different interests. We probably wouldn't agree on a whole lot. There are so many different things, so many different things that we're excited about, we love, we're passionate about. Like, it wouldn't happen except for the fact that Jesus saves us and adds us together with this family. Anybody who's athletic would probably not hang out with me if it weren't for Jesus, because I am not athletic. Anybody who does not really get into like the finer details of Star Wars or magic cards is probably not going to want to hang out with me. Because I'm a nerd. If you hadn't figured that out. But because of the truth of the gospel, because of what Jesus does, because he's made us into this family, we are very different. A hand and a liver are very different. But both are a part of the same body. Both have been joined together and now are a part of moving in the same direction, fighting for the same thing. That is an amazing thought. And we should be amazed that Jesus has seen fit to save us and to add us to that family and to, to make us holy and to build us into this church. And that should be the thing that excites us and moves us to worship and moves us to glorifying Him and moves us to, to carrying the gospel with us wherever we go. Because, because we are just the perfect representation of what it looks like to be completely far from one another, completely disinterested in what each other do, and now here we are, united as one body in Christ. Let's pray.
God, there is so much more that I could say. So many more details that we could get into. So many more things that we could add. But God, just this this idea of being part of this body and valuing being a part of this body, being a part of this community. Just recognizing what it is, what it means to be added to this family in this way. God, I just pray that we would revel in that, be amazed by that, be driven to worship by that. And God, if, if some of us in here don't know You yet, don't yet appreciate salvation, Your love, the things that You have done for us, I just pray that You would open our eyes, soften our hearts to love Your, your, your family, Your church. And that this church specifically, this local expression of the bigger church would so love each other well, so fight through hard things well, so humble each other, so humble ourselves for the sake of loving one another and being reconciled or unified together well, that the gospel is so declared by the way that we live here at CRC, the way that we work out our differences, the way that we become unified, the way that we fight for holiness. God, I just pray that that would be the example that comes from this place, that we are living like a group of people who are all in together. That we live together, have all things in common, like you say in Acts chapter 2. That we're spending time together, our lives together, that we're, we're We're intimately invested in each other's lives and know what's going on and care about what's going on and feel for one another when somebody is hurt. God, I just pray that you would make much of yourself through the way that you are joining this church together and that we would would represent you well as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll respond. If you're saved, come take communion. And remember what it is that Jesus did for us. Leave your tithes, your offerings in the basket if you, if you have them. Man, all of these things, I always build back toward worship because I think all of these things ought to be driving us toward worship. So let's worship passionately. That may mean singing loud. That may not mean singing loud for you. But whatever it is, like whatever, whatever the emotion in you that Jesus is stirring up, like own it. Don't shy away from it. Let's, let's, let's passionately worship as a response to the way that Jesus is, is drawing us together. And let's let our voices be joined together as we sing some songs celebrating who Jesus is and what it is that he's done. <laughs>